Welcome to episode number 208 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan, and with me today are the Miyagi-Do senseis of Linux, Jill, Noah, and Michael. Sure. Uh, Cobra Kai, though, <laughs> actually, because, uh, you know. You much... would be Rooster Cobra Kai. <laughs> no, actually, no. No, if you want to talk about it, we can go into this super in-depth thing that uh, that Daniel's son was actually the villain of Karate because he cheated at the oh, tournament. No. He, he actually yes, he totally true. he cheated because that that front that kick to the face is illegal. So, <laughs> all right, Cobra Kai. Well, this week what we're going to talk about is Linux, and one of the things that's been on my mind is misconceptions that we hear in the community about Linux and open source stuff like must be free of cost or dual booting any other OS is evil. Or one of the things that's a personal pet peeve is that Linux is only good for old hardware. I mean, that's how my entire channel got kicked off, right? I mean, that was one of the things that I really wanted to focus on to kind of fix that misconception out there. So we're going to discuss those things with each of the hosts. I want to know what misconceptions bother you the most, and we're going to do a MythBuster style on this. Then we're going to review <laughs> some information on OpenSUSE and review interesting facts that were revealed in their recent community pool. We also have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So, Michael, this week I've seen something that really intrigued me in the recent This Week in KDE article. There was a specific mention of your name, which obviously makes me sad because I'm like, what are they going to talk negatively about my friend Michael in this article about? But it turns out it was something really positive and good, which was also disappointing. So what was this whole thing about? <laughs> I was waiting for it to see like what you were like, what were you sad about? Like they were being positive, like because that's what I was expecting. So you were kind of throwing me for a loop there for a second. So I and I submitted a, a fix for something related to KWIN. Which is, you know, that shows how good of a programmer I'm because I, I contributed to a very complicated project in about four lines of code. And uh, what it does is actually uh, it, it improves something related to window rules. So uh, window rules is, is a thing that is in KDE Plasma that is so awesome. I love window rules. So what it does is it allows you to have control over different elements of the windows. For example, the, the size of the window, the position of the window, the location of where you put it. Uh, on what monitor, what uh, what desktop you want, and you can even control the opacity and all kinds of stuff related to the windows. And the the thing that I changed is actually just a simple change. I just changed the uh, default when you add a new property to the window rules, it will uh, automatically apply it in a particular way that I thought was like the best way to you know start that experience. Uh, so it just made it easier when you get started to do those things. If you've never used Plasma, one of the best things about Plasma is window rules. It's one of my top five reasons why you should why I like Plasma. And you could check out my video that I made, but the uh, window rules is so good that I think people should check it out. If you haven't used Plasma before, check it out because of it. P window rules does allows you to do in Plasma is that it lets you have full control of where you where you place everything, and it, every time you set a, a setting for window rules, it will remember it forever. And that is a fantastic feature that I just absolutely love because you can essentially. Well, this is interesting because it's it's kind of like when you're looking at i3 Window Manager. One of the things that you love is you better. boot up all your windows, start up in the right place. Hey, how dare you? Uh, and, and all your settings and everything are there. I mean, that's one of the main features that you love besides all the keyboard shortcuts and things out there. 
And basically through these window rules in KDE, you get that built into right. KDE. Well, KDE, KDE Plasma already remembers where you put stuff, but this is, allows you to have like precise control. Like this is the one thing I love about it is that I want certain things to have a a uh, specific window section of one particular monitor. And I want it to be this particular size. And it allows you to do that. So you could move something to Very a thing nice. and snap it and blah, blah, blah. But just to have like the absolute control over it. And you can also do like change configurations of like uh, automatically being always on top or automatically not having your borders attachments. So you can do better tiling and stuff like that. It's really, really nice to have that as a functionality, which is what I do with my Firefox because it's always maximized. So I don't want it to have the the title bar because I don't need it to be there. So I, and when I load my Firefox, I have a window rule that's automatically removes the decoration. So it does a full tiling around my screen and it's just fantastic. And uh, anyway, the thing I did was... Not that huge of a change, but since it was, I just wanted to, I just sent a link to Ryan and say, hey, check it out. I'm in this week in KDE. Ha! Well, Yay. I'm very proud of you. Awesome job, Michael, for that. Wonderful. Contributing. Yeah, that's very cool. So we got some community feedback this week. Michael, what did people have to say? Well, in episode 206 of Destination Linux, we discussed remote management and monitoring uh, because we actually had this, uh, a community feedback about that particular topic or it, was a, or it was a question related to remote management and monitoring. And we thought we could cover in more of like a series like to talk about the uh, – we got some more feedback from a lot of people who provided some more suggestions, the things that we didn't discuss on that episode. So I wanted to talk about that. And Chris wrote us to say, hey, guys, Happy New Year to the entire Destination Linux team regarding episode 206 mm -hmm. in the initial session regarding remote access and monitoring. I do some remote monitor, uh, management and monitoring for a couple of small clients whom are primarily Windows users. My clients gross. have a <laughs> gross. My clients have a small environment with a single server with that, that will either be a Linux distro providing services via Samba, or in some cases, I have Windows servers in places where needed. To make a long story short, I, re I remote via a OpenVPN, generally via a Pi VPN setup on a Raspberry Pi. For monitoring, yes. like, I, like Noah mentioned, I use Libra NMS, such that just rolls right off the tongue. And for remote access, I use the Apache Project's Guacamole server. Uh, for me, Guacamole is one is a one-stop shopping for RDP, SSH, VNC access to host devices and stuff like that on the network. Uh, and also, we got a really interesting comment from another community member uh, about AnyDesk, which is something I, I forgot existed, but it seems mm -hmm. like it could be an option for those as well. Yeah, AnyDesk and Splashtop. We got two oh, who yeah. also wrote in about AnyDesk as well in here. So. If the suggestions we gave on the show, if you didn't like those or you're looking through them and looking for something maybe different, then check mm -hmm. out these other ones that the community sent in. And we appreciate you all sending in this, helping out the other listener. And also, uh, I just want to say that most projects that have like, you know, the, the names of these projects aren't necessarily that fun. Libra NMS. Okay, cool. It makes sense for it, but it doesn't, it's hard to say, but I did want to give mm -hmm. extra bonus points to Apache's Guacamole server. Because yeah. that is just, a, it's a silly name for a server, but I love it. It's fun. So guacamole, just in general, because I like the name. And also, just to be clear, uh, in this particular case, unlike Chipotle, guac doesn't cost <laughs> extra for this server. <laughs> nice. Call out there. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Well, we love hearing from our worldwide community. We want you to do this. Get your official DLN mug. It's the only mug that will work in this case. Fill it with some coffee. <laughs> the spice of life. 
<laughs> sit down at the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Or if you've progressed past the stool to an actual chair, even better. And we want what? you also to go to the community discussion <laughs> forums uh, where we'll also be picking out topics to cover here. So go to the DLN community forum by going dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their App Platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this app platform on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, actually better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. All right, I am so excited to get into our main topic here. I want to know what's been bugging you. I've been in Linux for over four years now, so I'm the rookie here. And in that time, I've heard plenty of misconceptions. Heck, I've probably spread misconceptions myself in Linux as I was learning through this time. So I thought it would be fun to do a myth buster on some of the misconceptions that you still hear. Maybe you hear it only every once in a while or in a forum or something, but that just really bug you. We've got more and more people coming to Linux. Linux is growing. They're crossing the bridge to my side. If you don't get that reference, you have to watch last week of the bridge, which is the right side of the bridge. The, Some people are going to micro is, side of the bridge, which is, is the, the right wrong bridge. side of the my bridge. Side is the right bridge. Um, so let's tackle this. I'm, and I'm going to start here in fairness with Michael, even though you're on the wrong <laughs> side of the bridge. Wow. What are some misconceptions <laughs> that you hear today that still bug you? Well, what's funny is that when you mentioned that, Hal, you, you might have perpetuated some misconceptions. It made me think, oh, no, because my first one is one I actually contributed to spread many years ago. Oh, so you're guilty of it, too. Many, right, many right. years ago. Yes. Before, like I, before, I, before I was enlightened to the, the KDE world, uh, KDE, okay. th there's a, the, the misconception is that KDE plasma is bloated or it's too heavy or whatever, insert whatever. I heard uh, that quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, there was an early stage of like 2008, 2009. There was a period of time where uh, KDE plasma 4.3 had this kind of this bug that created a weird uh, memory issue. And that was the period of time that I tried Plasma again. And it created this weird misconception that I had implying that for like t a week of time, just a week of time, there was a weird bug. And that is exactly when I tried it. So I started t talking mm -hmm. about how it was bad memory or whatever. And then later, some people convinced me to try it again. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. I'll give it a shot. And then I have been on Plasma ever since. So that's about seven years now. And uh, I realized the error of my ways. KDE is not remotely bloated. It's actually very lightweight. And in so much so that the minimum requirements for your system is something you're not going to believe. It's 512 megabytes. That's what am I, yeah. billionaire, Michael? <laughs> All you need is 512 megabytes oh. to technically make 
uh, KE Plasma It won't be the best experience ever because that's, you know, that's the, un, the, that is a ridiculously small amount of RAM. It's interesting. Some people did some comparisons and found that the lightweightness of XFCE and the, also the lightweightness of KDE Plasma are relatively close. Like they're pretty much the same. And uh, that actually blew my mind that it has changed that much. So uh, KDE is not bloated. It's actually fantastic. So if you haven't tried it in a long time, and or you haven't tried it because of that misconception, you definitely need to go check it out. I just wish we would mm-hmm. you would tell the audience what desktop environment you like because oh I think yeah, yeah. really confused. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep it keep it too close to myself. Like yeah. I don't tell people much about it. I, I apologize for that. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, there are other things that I thought was uh, different DEs that have some misconceptions that I wanted to cover. And uh, one of them was XFCE because a lot of people have made this interesting misconception that XFCE was uh, like an like a answer to GNOME. The interesting thing about it is that XFCE predates GNOME by quite a bit, probably like five years or so. And uh, yes. it's, it's, I did a, not know that. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's really interesting because uh, XFCE has been around a lot longer and ha- and the, even though they share certain things, like they both use GTK and that sort of stuff, and I think that's what people get the misconception for. It's that they think because they because GNOME makes GTK, they think that XFCE is like from that. But it's just they just happen to use the same toolkit as well. They yeah, also didn't XFCE, originally use GTK, but still. Yeah, yeah, and um, XFCE is a, originally came from a CDE. It was mm-hmm. uh, the inspiration from CDE on Sun Microsystems. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our patrons wants to clear up a misconception that you must have a beard to run Linux. And that's just <laughs> not true. Yes. Just not true. I'm going to go shave to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's going to shave and prove that one. All right, Michael, do you have any other misconceptions? Uh, yeah, this is actually one of the, speaking of GTK, uh, there's another one that I have that has been around for a long time and it has always annoyed me. But this is a thing I've heard a lot where people refuse to install uh, an application that uses Qt because they don't want to bloat their system because they use a GTK-based distro. I hear this oh, all the yeah. time. Or vice That's versa a good one, Michael. as well. Uh, <laughs> so for some people who use Qt-based distros, they have the same kind of thing. Uh, that one is uh, nonsense, especially now, because maybe in like 1998, it was true. Because mm-hmm. you didn't have the amount of space that you could now, and 500 megabytes back then was a big number. Now, 500 megabytes is essentially nothing. So that's why I, I think that people still have a problem with it, as in as if it like will create any kind of resource issue or performance issue. It will not. Uh, there's no reason not to use a, a application for what insert whatever toolkit at this point. Interesting. All right, Jill, I'm excited to hear your misconceptions. What are some that you've been bugging you lately? Yeah, so one of the big ones is only nerds use Linux, which of course, <laughs> sure. I've heard um, that. the actually, company here, it is, we, it is, yes, that is a subset of its user base. That's why we're all here, right? <laughs> I'm a geek, but, but okay, but I accept that. Yeah, so anyone can use Linux. In fact, so so many people are using it and don't even know it. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. IoT devices, you know, Chromebooks somewhat and Android somewhat, (laughs) but it's, it's in a lot of devices. So this kind of goes to the whole, like you'd have to use, (laughs) oh, well, that's your next one. So I'll just let you go through your next one. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) So, and you need to use the terminal to use Linux. That's not a requirement these days. Granted, you know, that random PPA, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
but for the honestly for the most part you you know just use your software center it's gooey you know for those that want to don't want to use the terminal you don't have to under linux it's come so far oh yeah that it's just it's plug and play you know boot it easy to use plug and play mm -hmm. so yeah the terminal that's is, no longer is, is more like a, a thing. It, it, it's faster <laughs> in certain cases so it's kind of nice yes. to learn how to use it but it is not necessary i recently switched some, my one of my brothers to yeah. uh, using linux and gave him kubuntu and he has not even looked at the terminal once and he yeah. has been enjoying it completely like the entire time so you definitely do awesome. not need it anymore and I have my husband on it. He's been using it, of course, for many years. <laughs> so over 10 years now. <laughs> I mean, my my seven-year-old uses Pop! OS every day and they Aww. don't open the terminal. And anytime I'm opening the terminal is really fun because they're like, who are we hacking today, dad? <laughs> I'm just doing sudo apt update and sudo apt upgrade. But, you know, to him, it's like seeing all that text scroll. It's like, oh, yeah, time to get into a bank. Yes, it's power. <laughs> it's power. <laughs> And the other one I had is Linux is harder than Windows to use. Uh, honestly, it's quite the opposite because <laughs> Linux is so much more plug and play than even Windows is. You're not and, wrong. You know, to, to your to your point, Jill, we had a we there's a, there's a particular printer that we recommend um, for our for our, our white glove deployments where we just ship the customer plugs it in and it just works, and it's the M404N. We had an in interesting issue with a customer the other day where we found out like they they couldn't collate pages. So when you print a multi-page document, you want the document to print pages one two three. Then you want a second mm -hmm. copy one two three, third copy one two three, right? And as you as you tried to do that, you would find that this printer would not work. And as I dug into it and started troubleshooting a little bit more, uh, what we found is that there the, the the thing that sends that job to the printer is called Mopier mode or multiple copy mode. And it requires a certain amount of memory in that printer in order to be able mm. to, to, to do that thing. In Windows, the, the steps to disable this thing are in the computer. You right click on your laser jet printer. You click on properties. You go through the settings tab, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. On Linux, I'm not kidding. On Linux, here's what it is. Uncheck the collate button from the print dialog when you print. <laughs> One button. <laughs> and it's on the print dialog that the user is going to run into anyway. As opposed uh, to, not to mention awesome. the fact that that may not be always the design. Anyway, it just there, there, this idea that things are always easier in Windows than Linux. <laughs> yeah. So, Noah, speaking of which, what are some misconceptions that bug you? I'd say the first thing is that Linux doesn't work uh, with, and I'm just going to use a placeholder ah. hardware, right? Okay. I hear people say, well, I would use Linux, but is it going to work with my audio card? Is it going to work with my microphone? Is it going to yeah. work with my... I will tell you, as a guy who owns an IT company, we I have the opportunity of the average day-to-day -day computer coming in or out. I know you deal a lot with... Um, the, the the best that you you buy the individual components and you place it together. And I don't, I don't have a, a tremendous amount of experience in that area, but what I do have an experience is, hey, this is a $25,000 server that came from Dell. Oh, look, it runs Red Hat just fine. Um, and right. uh, oh, look, here's all the laptops that come from Dell. And oh, look, those run Linux just fine too. And all these Lenovo laptops, they all run Linux fine too. Um, and so uh, you watch that happen over and over again. What you find is that there are manufacturers that begin with H and end with P, not specifying anyone in specific, but make really crappy versions of the same thing that other manufacturers have in Noah's uh, opinion. A start with an S and end with a six or start with a D and end with an L. I've not specified any names. I feel like I'm in the clear there. Uh, right. the, those <laughs> manufacturers take those same kind of Intel parts they, they, and, and, and better quality and the, the, the build quality is better. Um, but both of those machines run fine with Linux. When you 
either one of those are going to boot into a flash drive. And for a while, there is a temptation when I have one of these computers that isn't quite built as well to say, oh, that's it's Linux. It doesn't work. It's not quite as stable. It crashes. It hangs up. And then you put Windows 10 on it and you find the same exact behavior. And so yeah. then the question is not, there's nothing wrong with the operating system. There's something wrong with the hardware. And so these days in 2020 or 2021, if you're having a trouble with a particular piece of hardware and that problem persists for more than a few months, you might double check yourself that there isn't something wrong with that hardware. Second thing I run into is that software, and I hate the word, can't run on Linux. Now, certainly we have decided for one reason or another that Adobe is going to manufacture software for Windows or Mac OS, uh, where they're going to run it in the web. Um, but at no time has it ever been true that it's technologically not possible to allow software to Ooh, run good inside point. Linux. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just Very that good. we don't build Linux to execute PL code and software companies don't write their code to be executed by systems that run something other than PL code because that's very popular in the Windows world. So the, 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 it's not a technological limitation. It's a social limitation. It's a decision. It's a business decision on companies' parts not to allow you to run their software on a different platform. And yes, in many cases, the, the task of porting that software to an entirely different platform is a monumental one, one that they're not willing to do. But, but what, I've, what I've seen in, in just 10 years' time is companies that use that excuse for, hey, we can't port everything to Snaps, even though it would run on Windows, Mac, and Linux. That would be too much trouble. And then Apple releases their M1 platform with their M1 universal package. You're like, well, son of a gun, I guess we're going to have to port to M1. They don't yeah. run everything. It's not fantastic. Too bad nobody else thought of that. Uh, you watch, <laughs> so don't tell me. You can't turn around and then tell me, well, yeah, it's just too bad. It's not technically possible to run on Linux. <laughs> no, we're choosing not to do that. We're making very intentional cho mm -hmm. choices. And once we understand that, a lot of other decisions become very, very easy. When Microsoft Teams comes to Linux, the question is not so much, are we happy or are we not happy that Teams is on Linux? It, it was always possible. This is, it's not like they've not done you any mm -hmm. miracle. It's just, it's, they just took code and now it executes, you know, and as they're going forward, companies are getting hip to this, right? They're starting to understand that people are going to make their platform decision based off of all sorts of influences, none of which they have any real control over. So their best chance is to skate to the lowest common denominator. Hello, Electron. Um, and so if you want, if, if you're one of those people that are still sitting in their basement every single year going, oh, today, oh, you're on the Linux desktop, Electron is your friend. And I think that that's, I, I think understanding that the, the true software dilemma on Linux of there are no users, there are no apps, that whole age old dilemma of who gives first. When you, if you back out, look at the larger picture, what you'll find is, first of all, it's way more nuanced. And second of all, companies are focused on a lot of other things. And a lot of those are what are driving those decisions, not necessarily what can or can't run on Linux. Yeah, especially um, when you see people say like it can't run Linux and it has it has like tools like Qt uh, where it actually is like a toolkit right. that is built to, to have support for Linux. And like, well, we just don't, we can't yes. use that. Like y y half of what you already have <laughs> is available to run on Linux. Right. right, it was there first, by the way. Also that you can't or shouldn't run Linux in a production office environment, oh, I've heard people say, good one, "I've heard people Noah. say, no, you can't, you can't do that." You know, uh, you know, it's just it might work for you, it couldn't work for me. Let me tell you something: Speed Technologies has set. We have seven. We're a seven-person team. We are not some massive international company, but what we do, we do really well. And all of us run Linux every day for everything that we do. And we've not run into any problems doing that. And then we get to people that, are, well, that's because you're too small. You're on the big side. You okay, Red Hat. 
is a very large company, multi-billion dollar company, $34 billion. They have, they have so many stories that when I was going through their building, I'm walking and I'm like, what floor are we on now? What floor are we <laughs> on now? Because it's just rows and rows and rows and rows of desks with computers all running Red Hat or Fedora or some other Linux operating system all running open source documents. By Sounds way, like paradise. LibreOffice, right? It is, but my, it is paradise, right? It is paradise. You know why? Their computers never have weird things like, oh, that computer has been running way too long. It's been almost two years since we did a system reinstall. Things really bogged down. Better get that thing cleaned up. I've got a computer that's been running since Fedora 15. Give me a break. Linux is perfectly capable of running for years on end and, and continuing to update. And anybody that's run a rolling distribution is fully aware of this. And so when you start looking at all of those individual pieces and you start to lay them out like, oh, I don't know, with the ticket system where you can track where people have problems in an IT environment and where those problems stem from and what the root cause of those problems are and how we might fix those in a permanent fashion to where they won't come back and bite the user again. When you start looking at it from that perspective, you come to one, one massive conclusion, and that is software and code and computers are not just a tool. That's a nice fantasy that some of us want to live in. Well, I'm just exactly. going to go to Best Buy and buy this pure Mac Pro. I'm going to go buy this uh, Windows computer because it's just a tool for the job, but it's not just a tool. Get out of my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a data storage device that keeps all of the things that you've been working on. It's your privacy security barrier because all of your thoughts and all of your planning and everything that you were taught to do in school to succeed in life, those tools are now electronic and there are more information grabbers than ever looking to get their hands on those tools and they want to use those tools to control both the language that you use, the language that you speak, the way that you do your job, the way that you approach things, the way that you interact with your boss. When you interact with your boss, they want to track that. All of those things are being considered. And those are not necessarily in your best interest. In some of the cases, they may be. When used, when, when powerful tools yielded by responsible people are handled properly, good things happen. When powerful tools are handled by irresponsible things, bad irresponsible people, bad things happen. And so this idea that it's just a tool grossly simplifies how important and critical people's not only understanding of how to use the tool, but understand what the tool is doing for them, why it's important, where their privacy begins and ends, how to stay secure, and how to leverage that tool to give them maximum benefit to their life and, max, and, and, and minimize the threat vector to their life. And that's what I have essentially dedicated my life to doing for other people, serving people to, to teach them that. And what I found in 15 years of doing business with Mac, Mac OS, Windows, Linux, BSD, whatever you name it, is that Linux fits a bill that no other software package currently does. And the open source way of doing things prevents end users from getting hurt most of the time. And so hmm. I would tell you that Linux and your computer is not just a tool. I agree. And Neil says it's a, a computer is an expression of you, yes, which yeah. is very, it's very true because very anytime good. I walk into a conversation with IT folks and they're like, hey, I'm a big Windows fan. The other one's like, hey, I'm a big Mac fan. And then I just drop the mic and like Linux and then everyone bows down and respects me. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's totally how that co our conversation yeah, that, goes. Okay, good. You've had that same experience. Yeah, yeah, no, my experience has been I've been at a Microsoft conference and everybody's like, yeah, but here's the latest star 2012 R3. So, oh, oh, I administrate that from my new pro. Have you seen the little buttons that show up here on that touch bar? That's pretty great. And I'm like, yeah, I spun up Docker the other day. It's really great with Ansible. Like the ability to automate that stuff is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't need a touch bar. It does it. Cricket. <laughs> Cricket. Back to my there touch bar. Well, I for me, Linux is only for old computer hardware. I mentioned at the beginning is something that I've personally wanted to tackle. And it goes into a lot <laughs> of your points, Noah and Jill, about 
just the fact that Linux is great for old hardware. We know that it's been set. It also runs on all the latest stuff. You go buy most of the laptops inside of a Best Buy, you're going to be able to probably stick Linux on it. Although you should be doing your research if you want to use Linux and buy something you know is compatible. That way you don't get go home and then complain that it's not. Um, dual booting Windows or another OS is mm-hmm. evil. Okay, so I may have some guilt here in the past of making jokes about Michael. Which uh, was never this. true. Um, but... <laughs> You know, there's nothing evil about it. In fact, I'm doing a video on Tails. Tails was, for those who don't know, just real quick, four years ago, I was doing videos on security and privacy in Windows. I had no idea Linux even existed. Well, I knew about its existence, but barely. And uh, somebody mentioned in the comments, if you're really into privacy, check out Tails. That is how I got into Linux from that comment right there. So awesome. Because I went and downloaded Tails <laughs> and I started playing with it. And I said, oh, I'm going to do 30 days of Linux. Tails was the point that kicked everything off. So I'm revisiting Tails in a video talking about Tor, video series I've been doing lately on my uh, channel. And so to me, it's a stepping stone. And, and my encouragement really is to get people to think about the fact of what Noah's talking about, that you can use Linux full-time in any environment. You don't have to go back to any of these other operating systems. Uh, and that that's one of the challenges that I took upon myself and was able to prove to be absolutely true. There was nothing I wasn't capable of doing. Maybe there were a couple of games I wanted to play that I couldn't play. There were things like that, but that's even going away now, four years later with things mm-hmm. like Proton and stuff. But as far as getting my business done, getting my work done, my day-to-day work on Linux, it, it was all there. Uh, open source software, this kind of leans into that, only exists on Linux. And that's not true. I, I I can use it if somebody's like, I want to stay with Windows. That's all I know. I don't want you putting Linux on my machine when I'm building or repairing. I usually ask, hey, have you ever heard of Linux? You want me to throw it on there on a, a separate partition? Uh, if they say no, then I'm, I usually try to sway them to some open source software because it's like a gateway drug. Uh, once you get them hooked on open source software, they're yes. going to find Linux and then they'll <laughs> be there. So I think that's fine as well. You know, yeah. Tell people who you meet around about open source software and it can run on windows it can run on mac um the the series i did on mac there's a ton of the open source programs we use every day in linux that will work in that environment um and open source software must be free of cost i think that this is one one that a lot of people Mm -hmm. are really trying to we probably could do a whole show on just this we can do a whole show (laughs) on a bunch of these actually but yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) sure go deep Uh, but this one is this one is definitely a super interesting one because this i've heard this forever and yes. it's one of those things that it's weird because it's perpetuated at the same time. It's one of the things that holds back open source in some ways because there's not the funding to make these projects, you know, thrive in that sense. So it's it's a double-edged sword. Like it's it's great that it's free access because it means anybody can have can try it out. But also it's a, 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 a backwards problem because it has the issue of the funding of the projects not being there, meaning they're not as putting as much time into those things today. It could be even better. People so. get burnt out and the projects go away. Yeah, that's and, too. It, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, there's, there's a reason why we go to work and people hand us a paycheck and that motivates us to show up again back on Monday to do the same thing over again. So uh, I appreciate the fact that a lot of open source software is free, but I don't expect it. And if somebody comes out and wants to charge for their software and it's open source for something that they're doing, then I'm perfectly okay with that. And I think we as a community need to be perfectly okay with that as well and accept it because that's how we're going to grow. By the way, everybody wants all the proprietary software on Linux. You want to be able to compete with millions and billions of dollars of funded software projects, then we better start paying some of the developers that are creating our software here in open source. So 
not everybody's capable of it, and that's perfectly fine. That's what makes Linux amazing is it helps do things like close the digital divide. But for those of us that can, and we use this software, we need to pay for it. Yeah, that's a good point because like, I think that there's also a double-edged sword there too because we already have the projects that are committed to doing that. And there's some cases where some projects don't even have a donation button. I think a lot of people will want to contribute in the monetary aspects if you give them an option to do so. So I think exactly. that's another point. Yeah. Take my money. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. true. I mean, I I donate to all the major projects that I love and use, and the and the small ones too. I try to just put the money out there and um, help them continue with their awesome projects. It's usually the start so of a important. great relationship too, because a lot of yeah. these projects don't get anything, but you'll donate and they'll send you a personal message, and then you kick off yeah. and get to know them, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and also there's a great comment in the chat about how when the companies put money in, in these projects, they can make awesome stuff. Like for example, OBS, fantastic. Use yes. it every day. Or Blender. And Blender. Yeah, so many great <laughs> projects. Critter. Are that, yes, yeah, Critter. Critter. There's so many good ones. And that are even in the level of competing at the in the proprietary like industry standard level stuff like that. So uh, all you all it needs is people putting that you know, that backing behind it and showing them that you d like just because it is free doesn't mean you should you, you know not contribute back to them. Of course, if you can, yeah, of course. And you know another yeah. project we didn't mention, Noah, that we need to talk about Bitwarden. Yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me tell One you one of our favorite projects. Talk let about an open source about project that can compete. Well, not only compete, actually really kind of can take over, right? The thing is, before long before Bitwarden sponsored this episode of Destination Linux, Bitwarden was the password manager that all of us on the network used and trust. And the reason yep. we did mm -hmm. was because we tried the competitors, we tried the early alternatives, and they were good, but they were proprietary. And then bad things happened and they made terrible decisions and got out by, bought out by bad companies. And so we all kind of landed on Bitwarden. Bitwarden is your answer to security because what Bitmore allows you to do is store all of your passwords in one secure location. The thing is, they don't have access to those passwords. Only you do because only you have the private keys. You can get started by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. This is something that you can simply run inside of your web browser. So you can sign up for an account and you can use their hosted instance. You can install it if you're on macOS or Windows. You can, uh, or Android, um, you have the opportunity to just use it right from the web browser. But whichever way you do, their Bitwarden is never going to have your passwords, never going to be able to access those accounts. And because they support the latest in two-factor authentication, uh, you're going to be able to pair it with things like your YubiKey and make sure that only you ever have access to your master wallet. So make sure to get started today by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Get started for free Bitwarden, the password manager that we trust at only 10 bucks a year for the premium subscription. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Mm -hmm. You're, you are broadcasting Noah from a remote location. Well, it's actually, I'm going to break the news here, the destination Linux stadium and um, <laughs> the, the official destination Linux sure. stadium that we just bought. Yep. And you logged in, you didn't have all your stuff with you, but you were able to get all your passwords, get set up, right there because Bitwarden's on everything. It could be on your phone. It could be on your laptop. It could be anywhere you go. That's just such an awesome convenience to have. Very mm -hmm. much so. And this is something really, really cool and interesting in the world of the Geeko for us <laughs> to discuss. <laughs> that, you actually have the little open SUSE Geeko yeah, there, or SUSE yes. Geeko. Oh, I, I have want one about, of those for sure. I, yeah. I have about 10 of them. <laughs> I can send you one, Ryan. <laughs> there is a museum of, of Linux mascots. <laughs> of course she does. Yes, I have one right behind me too. <laughs> and um, what's been really cool is OpenSUSE recently uh, completed a community poll with some very interesting 
results. Yeah. Um, first, yeah, this one's for Michael. Michael will be happy to know that Plasma is the most used desktop environment nice. on OpenSUSE. And this completely makes sense to me because it's, it's, uh, KDE has always had a beautiful, has, uh, OpenSUSE always implemented KDE so beautifully. It's very stable and, uh, really pretty. Do you like, uh, SUSE's <laughs> implementation of KDE as a default, Michael, yes. or is that, is that something? I, I think that they do try some things. I think they should they, they should go a little bit more more into like modifying the polish and stuff, but they do a lot of more than just the basic vanilla because I understand some distributions want to do vanilla because they like the upstream connection and stuff like that, which is cool. But I think that, you know, putting your stamp on it and polishing it the way you present it the way you want to is a good idea. Mm. And I think more projects should do that. Uh, and I think that OpenSUSE does handle that pretty well. They do make some changes that I am a big fan of. Uh, I'm actually yeah. curious about what, what they're going to do in the, in the next release. Cause uh, 521 is going to change the menu from the default menu that's been for a long time. And they're making a much better menu, which I'm super excited about. And, uh, OpenSUSE used to change, or they currently change the old uh, kickoff version into a different one, which I personally use as well. So I, there are a lot of things that OpenSUSE does that I think are great. And I'm very curious to see mm -hmm. what they do for the next release because there's going to be quite a few changes. That is a bit like the first impressions people have of a project is one of the main things that people make decisions right. whether they're going to continue to use it or not. Yeah. Yep. I've always loved KDE on OpenSUSE. It's, it was my favorite distro to use KDE on cause just because it was so stable and I could run mm -hmm. it on my server and not have issues. There you go. So yeah. That was really great. OpenSUSE is actually one of the best versions mm -hmm. of KDE Plasma uh, for many, many years. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that the Kubuntu has been challenging them pretty, uh, pretty well lately, but uh, OpenSUSE has been at the top, one of the top three for, I don't know, ever, probably. Yeah. Yeah, really. Nice. <laughs> And one of the other interesting results of the survey is the highest percentages percentage of users were between the ages of 35 and 49. And of course, half, half of the users were from Europe and a quarter from America and from Asia, about 10%. So that kind of tracks because <laughs> it is a, a Suse was originally based in Germany. I'm going to get to that in one of the misconceptions, but I do want to talk about mm -hmm. that more because I think it's interesting that it's not more popular in the United States. And I, yeah. we'll get into that in a second, but that's one of the things I want to pick you all's brain about. And another really interesting results were that the people taking the survey were predominantly males working in the IT industry with more than 10 years experience with a NIC system. Not and surprising. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely not, not surprising, especially, you know, the organization that um, I am one of the uh, co-organizers for the Linux Chicks of Los Angeles, you know, we're we're a group that helps promote women in Linux and open source and support them. And there's actually quite a few OpenSUSE users, including myself, in in our group. So awesome. it is it is growing slowly, and we have a very strong presence here in Los Angeles. Right. So it's all about raising your daughters right, like my daughter yes. using Linux right out of the Right out of the gate. First computer, <laughs> Linux. Yeah. Linux. Yeah. And the other um, point I would like to make, make about my group in particular, it's not just women. Half our members are men who support women awesome. in Linux. Yeah. Nice. So Absolutely. that's what that makes us very special. <laughs> I love that. Another interesting uh, result from the survey was almost half of the people were college educated, which I would think it was actually be more. 
I, I, I was a little surprised it was just half. I actually thought it would be less. Some of the best oh, geeks funny. I know don't go to college or don't believe in it. They're basement geeks. And some of the best people I hire, frankly, are that's a secret I just gave away to my hiring because a lot of people who hire in big corporations only look for college degrees. So if, whereas, you, if you want to work for Ryan, don't go to college. Yeah, don't go to college. No, the college is great. College is awesome. But I'm just yeah. saying there are some people that are so passionate about it and yeah. self-taught. And that's sure. all they want to do. That's what they live and breathe for. And when you get those people on your team, they're yes. unstoppable. Yeah, I went to school for something completely different from Linux. Like I went to school for fine arts and that stuff like that. Because for I, mm -hmm. I do design and graphic design and stuff like that. So that has mm -hmm. absolutely nothing to do with Linux. One of our patrons said, I'm promoting people dropping out and coming to work for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Tune in, turn yeah. on, drop out, and go work for Ryan. <laughs> yes. <Nice. laughs> so uh, another interesting fact is that GPUs were pretty much evenly split along all the, the different brands, Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD. I was surprised about this. So I know that in the past... <laughs> Um, Ubuntu has mentioned that it's pretty much Intel NVIDIA mm -hmm. and AMD made this teeny tiny drop. And I kept saying mm -hmm. like, well, that's because Ubuntu doesn't work well with AMD cards, the newer ones, because the drivers aren't in there and all of that. So that's probably why you're missing some of that community. But in OpenSUSE's case, you have a rolling distro, right? And mm -hmm. you've got an even split. Now that could be just because this, again, the conversations I had with Ubuntu were months and months and months and months ago. Um, maybe they have the mm. same split now. I haven't looked at one of the recent polls, but I did find it interesting that it's evened up because even yeah. people who aren't in Linux, who listen and tune into Hardware Addict show and stuff, the AMD love is insane. I was at Micro Center and there was a cabinet with Intel processors and stuff. <laughs> and then there was a cabinet with AMD Ryzen processors and everyone was at the Ryzen cabinet. You would have never seen that five years ago. For the, sure. the AMD cabinet probably wouldn't even existed. It would have been a shelf somewhere in the back yes. with dust collecting on Not it. True. <laughs> uh, but all of the kids, the young kids and teenagers and stuff were all sitting at the rise and like, oh, I want that processor. I want, you know, just talking about it and hyped up. And it's amazing what AMD has, has done here in that short time. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised they haven't even split among them. Still. I think I think it's because yeah. uh, I think it makes sense that AMD is you know kind of building out its market still sort because it's only as you said it's been like just five years ago it wouldn't have you wouldn't have expected that whatsoever so in just a few years uh, it's gone from kind of irrelevant to having a big hype which kind of evens out a, a bit of, in that and in that sense I think that's why it's kind of evened out because they're still fighting for that market uh, but it is interesting that uh, you know other other distributions are saying that AMD is not that popular and I also think it might be some like how many people People use tumbleweed versus leap and, you know, yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. Definitely. That has a lot to do with it. And I think the results will be different next year. You're going to see mm -hmm. a lot more AMD. Usage. That's true. <laughs> I think AMD is going to change a ton. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Neil, Neil said that actually SUSE and AMD have had a special relationship for over two decades. So that could be a big part of that as well oh. as they were kind of the official AMD shop. So that's kind yeah. of cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Kept those um, Mesa drivers updated as well. Yes. <laughs> And the another interesting thing of the of the survey was that 900 respondents identified pain points of OpenSUSE, which were evenly spread around topics like finding software, installing software, unsupported hardware, and documentation. I know a lot of people don't who don't care for Yast, but I actually like it. 
<laughs> I love yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know people people still will fight me on this. They're like, how could you? And I'm like, are you serious? I think yes is amazing, but well, the I come across for... it as I don't do this for a living. When I see yeah, yes, sure. I have all of these cool tools that a lot of people who are admins may be like, well, I like using this other tool. I don't want to use that one. But for me, I've got all these administrative tools right here in one place that I can play with and learn. Yast is awesome for that. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I think Yast is is cool and also kind of problematic because it is confusing and has it. Ha, it's great to have everything in have one. A learning it, curve. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, <laughs> if you have everything in one and you don't have a massive amount of effort into organizing that and making it easy to use, it can become overwhelming pretty quickly. And I think that's what uh, it's Yast, okay to be wrong, Michael. I think Yast. I I think Yast has suffers from that kind of thing, and I also think that KDE sort of suffers from that too. So mm-hmm. I put that one I'll agree with. Well, it's the same, it's the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I can choose what I want to believe. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. I got you. That's you can, how misconceptions next, start, Ryan. <laughs> you can cover it in our next misconception episode. Okay. <laughs> this next one had me really excited, Jill. Yeah. So a large majority of OpenSUSE uh, users were unaware that there was a mobile version. <laughs> I and was I, one I of did those. remember that. <laughs> yes, it was a while ago. They were working on I, that. <laughs> I was one of those until today, actually. <laughs> I had yeah. seen it demoed on a phone one time. <laughs> I was excited because I was like, they have a mobile version? I, I literally <laughs> had no clue. So maybe that goes into this last bullet of yes. the majority of respondents felt OpenSUSE was underrated and underrepresented by underrepresented by open source and Linux influencers. So true. We yeah. have we have talked about this offline when we're not doing a show amongst each other and things. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, for four years, you know, all the, the people when I was doing 30 Days in Linux that were me- recommending distros for me to try out, I don't think OpenSUSE ever came up once. Every other distro yeah. you could That's imagine, Linux from scratch, um, yeah. <laughs> everything else was mentioned, but I don't recall anybody actually ever recommending OpenSUSE. And even when I was getting more into the distros and the people I was hanging out with, my bubble, OpenSUSE never came up. It just wasn't something Hmm. people seemed to use. And I never really understood why, because when I gave OpenSUSE a try and was playing with it, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I think the only reason I actually left was that was the time period that the Radeon 7 dropped and they didn't have Mm. the latest Mesa drivers in it. In fact, the only person Mm -hmm. who... Oh, no, it wasn't the Mesa. It was something with the motherboard. Only person who had fixed it was Pop! OS. And that yeah. was kind of my venture into Pop! OS. Ah. So from, from that standpoint, that was the only reason I ever took OpenSUSE off my machine. I'm, I'm really interested to know your thoughts because you guys have been in Linux much longer than me. Why do you think OpenSUSE is underrated? Obviously, even their community feels this way. Well, I think it's interesting because there's OpenSUSE has a kind of a marketing problem because of the, the they have the... Uh, they have SUSE with the SLEE or the Linux Enterprise version of SUSE, and then they ha- also have the OpenSUSE Leap, and they have OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, and both of those have not been around a, a extreme amount of time because like SUSE, OpenSUSE has been around for a long time, but the Leap and the Tumbleweed have not actually been around about six years. That's about it. And yeah. a Tumbleweed is one mm. of those things that make people think about like the rolling release is uh, kind of has like a, a, a its own misconception in certain ways. So, p- so a lot of people look at a rolling release as being a dangerous thing to use. 
but they don't know that OpenSUSE Tumbleweed actually solves that with their uses of ButterFS and the snapshots. So you have a rolling release that actually can roll back if you need to. So you don't have mm -hmm. to worry about rolling too fast because if something does go wrong, you can always just go back. And a lot of people aren't aware that OpenSUSE has that option. And I think it's just because people aren't, uh, I mean, OpenSUSE hasn't, put stuff out there letting people know about these types of things and letting people know about certain types of projects that they have that are really cool. Like, for example, OpenQA is something that is amazing to me. It is a really cool project that they have that projects, uh, other development projects should check out in terms of like testing and stuff like that. Like even Fedora adopted OpenQA because they saw and how good it was. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that's like a back-end thing. Uh, OpenSUSE is not known for like a lot in terms of like press, but they do a lot of cool infrastructure, awesome stuff. Like uh, Neil in chat also says Red Hat is now using OpenQA because what OpenQA mm -hmm. does is like an automation testing project. And one of the cool things about Yast is that Yast is how they do with the installation and also how they manage certain things of the configurations and stuff. OpenQA can do everything automated. So what it does is that it will actually install the system for you, run different tests about like clicking around different elements of GNOME, for example, and open applications and testing things. And it does it automatically with OpenQA and it records a video showing you what happened that you can do like quick testing to see it. And most of this is done for you. That's the kind of thing OpenSUSE makes, but they don't tell people that they made those things. And I think that's the biggest issue that people don't talk about them because there's just not, you know, there's not in the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, they they need to do exactly more community right. press, right? Yeah, that's and, that's another one. Yeah, you know, talk about this stuff and come on the shows. It it makes a huge difference when you're out there in the community engaging and things. And maybe they do a lot more in Europe. I hear it's very popular in the Europe area, but from a U.S. standpoint, it's it's not something we see a lot of. Jill, yeah. what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, um, uh, Michael is ex exactly right. I think a lot of it is just the outreach. And the advertising isn't there. They're trying to improve on that. But another thing is I think they get overshadowed by SLES, by uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise. Interesting. That, that, that is a thing. They get known for all the, the progress and improvements when in reality, a lot of that came with from OpenSUSE and their their interaction with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good point so, because I think another yeah. thing is, is that they have... OpenSUSE and SUSE have a really interesting um, relationship because they're yes. they're upstream and downstream to each other. So yes. it's a really interesting thing because Tubbleweed is basically the upstream to Slee and then Slee is the upstream True. to Leap and it's like a you know a circular structure. It's a really interesting way they do it and I think that also is a problem because it's confusing about like what is the open, what's the upstream what's the downstream that sort of stuff. And I think that one the one of the issues is the marketing. One of the issues is just it's kind of it's hard to know what all is happening in OpenSUSE because OpenSUSE Leap releases once a year, maybe I think, and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed mm -hmm. releases all the time, and it's hard all to keep the time. up. Right, <laughs> so a lot of people aren't talking about certain things because you don't know what is all happening at any given time because it just one part doesn't move very fast, and the other one moves ridiculously fast in a very awesome way. I, just a quick note, I've talked about this in a previous episode, but OpenSUSE's uh, Tumbleweed, I was talking about how the rolling release has the rollback stuff. It's also better than that. The way they do their updates is very impressive. I did a test because I was just curious because randomly sometimes I'll install a system and then like a rolling release and let it sit for a couple months and then go back to see what happens just because I expect it to crash. And that's how I learned that OpenSUSE's Tumbleweed's 
Reads updating system is fantastic because it wasn't even just because I could roll back. I actually waited for, I think, six, seven months, and then it had like 2,000 updates to do, to do an update when I came back to it, and it did the update just perfectly smooth. There was yeah. no problem. And that, well, on Arch, we do 2,000 updates an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But like, but it, it was stable. It's I have, stable. I've never had an update for a rolling release with that many packages over that amount of time actually st- be fine when you do the update. And it was mm-hmm. totally fine with OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Like that's, that's something awesome. that pe- yeah. that they should talk about more often as well too. Yeah. So Noah, what is your thought? I mean, do you agree that it's the community saying it's underrepresented and you feel it's underrepresented? Yeah, 100%. I So... I think that to a certain degree, sometimes OpenSUSE kind of gets just lumped in as baby Red Hat. And if Mm -hmm. you're a big enough organization, then you go with Red Hat proper. And if you're not a big enough organization to quite hit the Red Hat, then maybe you're on SUSE if you weren't using a Red Hat derivative. Um, But then the other side of that is, you know, when we launched Linux Delta, the whole idea was what is the community using and why? And it it shocked me, frankly, to see that the number one distribution used by the community was OpenSUSE. Number one rated distribution for desktop use from the community came back in as OpenSUSE. That's why I said it was really surprising to me when you said that you had never come across it or you, you, it was, people had not been recommending it to you. Uh, Wait, I what was that website that I could go check that out? LinuxDelta.com. Oh, okay. Here's where I would tell you that the, here's where I would tell you where we're skating to, though. I think... Linux has primarily had its dominance in the server space. And as we continue to skate towards containers, that's really going to be the future of those workloads. The user almost undoubtedly is going to experience whatever the application is or the interaction with the server on their either the mobile device or in a web browser. And so largely, I think we're slowly going to see that that the you know that the things that previously kept Linux out of that space out is not is not going to so much matter. And so when you start evaluating distributions, it's going to come down to a little bit more of what is the desktop experience like. Well, in OpenSUSE, it's going to be really great because they could use KDE. And uh, when it comes down <laughs> right. to the server, I'm, I'm just being honest. And when it comes down to the servers, it's you're going to ask how well does it run those container workloads. And if the answer to that question is that it does it very well, then there's going to be people that are going to say, hey, I'll just use OpenSUSE because I can run it on the server, can run it on my desktop, everything runs great. If it comes down to it's just much easier to do everything on AWS or micro or, or Azure or or uh, you know Canonical or Red Hat or whatever the whatever the landscape ends up being, um, then people are going to primarily I think make their decision based off of their desktop environment. I think that base every all of these distributions are getting so good yeah. that it doesn't matter anymore, or it's mattering less and less. That's, that's a very true statement. Yeah, it's a very good point. I actually think about like in the comments on the chat, we were there's someone mentioned something that made me think of like the the comment that Ryan said about like the having more community interaction. I mean, the same thing could be kind of said for Fedora. Like for we most people a lot of people were not talking about Fedora and then the Fedora started get, getting more involved in the community and it got more people to look at it and more interested in it. Yeah. And that same kind of thing could happen with OpenSUSE if they put more Absolutely. Uh, I mean Fedora is a perfect example of how you can quickly turn around, in my opinion, in watching it, is that Fedora was another one that was mentioned more. I heard about it more, but you know, it was a small pocket of people talking about it. And then when they started hitting the community like they have and engaging like they have recently. It just kind of took off by storm. People want something to be excited about. They want to be fans. They want to say, this is my favorite distro. This is my favorite mm-hmm. desktop environment. And you want to encourage that. And they of course, the to. right answer is GNOME. All right. So now let's go on to gaming here. 
How dare you? And in our gaming you? section, we have right there. Wow. Well, Jill supports okay, fine, me, right, Jill? Fine. You with yes. you, Team Ryan? All right, good. All right, fine. We'll Let's take on these KDE what, punks. What's in the What's in the gaming this week? <laughs> this week we have Nerds Online, not Nerds Online. That would be a game where you're playing with Michael. This is Nerds Online. Yes. Now, sure. Nerds Online is if you've ever had joy in playing the game Solitaire. I have not. Never play the game. I hate it. I don't like it on my machine, okay. but I remember watching my mom play this game on the computer for hours while working at her family business, because that's when you hire family, what they do. Um, she would sit <laughs> there and play this solitaire game over and over and over again. Um, so despite my objection to this game being popular, <laughs> I can't deny the fact that it's ridiculously popular. And now you can play this game with up to five friends, which doesn't make it solitaire, right? Because it's solitude. It's isn't it? uh, multi-tier. Multi-tear, sure. yeah. Uh, you can play with up to five friends on a game called Nerds Online. It's described as a fast-paced, competitive, solitaire game for you and your friends. Played the same way we played it at Zachtronics' office. Now, this is what I think is really cool, is that basically the idea is they were playing this game at an office, and that was their inspiration for creating this for everyone else. They used to play this pre-COVID with internal employees, and when they started working from home in 2020, they made a rough version of the game to play over the internet so they could still interact and do this function with their team. And now all of us can enjoy that. It's brand new, so but it already has 13 positive reviews. The price is free 50 free. So that's a really, really good price, as in free. So if you're <laughs> okay. a solitaire junkie... I'm so confused by what that meant. <laughs> free 50 free. You never heard that? That's no. Like, actually, no, I haven't. When I saw when I, when you said that, I was like, um, 50... What? <laughs> Okay, yeah, 50 free. so free, it's got the, it, free to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's free to play. And if you're a solitary uh, junkie out there, you can go check it out. It's got native nice. game uh, support for Linux. So. I, I am, I'm not interested in terms of like playing solitaire as a general sense, but I, I do mm. want to know how you can even do solitaire multiplayer. So I, oh, I so do want to know what this is. Yeah. Oh, look, Jill, tell us. Yeah. What, what's well, the, what's... I I've actually haven't done it Um um, online before I've I've done it in IRL in competitions. IRL um, is in real life for those, <laughs> yes. for those who don't know. Yes, <laughs> down with the hipsters. Yeah, so um, I have played some solitaire online, but the multiplayer uh, playing as a, a community group is really really fun. And you you get in a, a circle and you each have your decks, and you try and um, help complete other people's decks. It's it's really interesting. Oh, neat. Yeah, okay. and Very you can cool. do it co op. <laughs> Or against, play against each other, and everyone uh, would be having to complete my deck because I'd have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I had gone to some solitaire competitions years ago like, when I was mm. younger. <laughs> That's interesting. I, of course, I, you have Jill. <laughs> <laughs> always have some relevance related to the conversation. I know. Well, I'm actually grand champion of the solitaire. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Would we be surprised? Not at no, all. not at all. <laughs> but I still, I, I do want to check it out because I, I want to, I want to at least see what multiplayer solitaire is like. Because you let us know next. Yeah, week. yeah sure, That's I cool. will. Sure, I will. All right. All right. Much fun. Well, uh, there's something I wanted to talk about in, in the software spotlight that I thought would be pretty interesting for Ryan because he's been involved in a 3D, like 3D modeling for the 3D printer that he has. 
And this is something that you, you definitely want to check out because it's a state-of-the-art slicer application for 3D models, so it makes it easier to do 3D printing. I actually assume that you have tried this out. It's called Cura. It's C-U-R-A, or it's also the Ultimaker, Ultimaker makes it. It's Ultimaker Cura. So I just I have you tried this out, Ryan. Yes, it's awesome. But one of the things that's even more awesome to me is we talked about being involved in the community and how that makes a distro really exciting mm -hmm. and things. And so I was, I got a 3d printer for Christmas. It's back there for those watching the video version. You can see it. I've been printing all kinds of things nonstop. I just love it. It's so awesome. And Cura was one of the software that was most recommended from everybody. And I was so excited because it's an open source project out there. And it actually has an RPM version of it in Fedora. But when I was using it, on my machine, every time I'd go, once I got it installed and go open a file, unfortunately something was wrong with the package with my particular hardware, whatever it was that would make it crash. So I hit Neil up naturally and I'm like, Neil, hey, what's going on? He's like, open a bug report. Okay, you know how that's gonna go. I'm gonna open a bug report. Nothing's gonna happen. It's gonna sit out there for three years. And uh, no, it was fixed. In fact, it's fixed right now. Everything works perfect. So this is what you load your 3D models in, then you can slice these 3D models, you can edit the 3D models, and then you print from, you can print from that software. Or what I do is generally export it there and throw it up into OctoPi, which is a Raspberry mm -hmm. Pi server that mm -hmm. controls my 3D printer from any computer I want. So when the kids are like, I want baby Yoda in gold, which was a real request that <laughs> I actually made. <laughs> I was able to make that Grogu. from OctoPi downstairs on one of my other machines. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I, I think Cura is just an amazing example, once again, of software where open source is the standard. And Cura, I think, is a standard. I was just looking for what's the best 3D printer software out there, not the best 3D printer software that runs on Linux. And Cura was recommended by everyone. So. Nice. Our tip of the week this week, we continue our exploration of Git. Now, if you've been following along, you can initiate, clone a repository, add files, sign those files, make a commit, and connect to a remote repository and push to that remote. So today we're going to be talking about branches. Now, this is really where the benefit of Git comes. Up until this point, you've probably been saying to yourself, What's, why can't I just copy all the files over to a USB drive? And throw them in the <laughs> Same thing, right? Look, Git pull, copy, paste, Git push, copy, paste, right? Yes, up until this point. The problem is now we're going to start, we, we're tracking each one of those changes. Every time we make something, we track those changes. So what happens if you want to make a change, but you're not quite sure if you want to make a change. This is where branches can come in to save us. So to start, you're going to type git space branch space tack A. And this is going to display to you what branches already exist, if any. Now you can type git space branch, which will then show you that you're in the master. Now to create a new branch named testing, you'll type git space checkout space tack B space testing. And this is going to create a new testing repository that you'll be able to uh, make and commit changes and all of those kinds of things without actually ever affecting the master branch. We'll discuss more commands as we continue to, to explore git. If any of this sounds confusing or you want to start over at the beginning, then we invite you to go listen to past week's episode where we have explained how to do uh, how to get started with Git. Awesome. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. Okay. Since we've gone live, averaging over 100 people watching us live at a time, including Yay. 20 beautiful patrons sitting here with us right now, which is just amazing. Thank you all so much for the support. If you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful faces that I just mentioned. You get perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday, and come hang out for the after show. 
which is just for the patrons where they can ask all kinds of questions and uh, make fun of Michael. What? <laughs> That's not on the list of things you can do. That's one of the perks. It should be. <laughs> As Ryan mentioned, uh, every Sunday, 1 p.m., we're streaming live. Dealinglive.com. The best thing is everyone is invited. So we know there's a lot of opportunities for you to do some, some things on Sunday. We'd invite you to hang out here. We can't wait to see you in the Destination Linux chat again. All you have to do is head over to dealinglive.com. Also, if you want another domain to go to, you should go to dealinstore.com because that's where you can find all, some, all the awesome swag we have. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and also hats that are coming soon. So you'll especially want to check out all of this, this new stuff that's coming and also the Because Collection, which includes things like this, the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, if you're watching the video version, and all the other stuff we have that are just, we have this collection because. That's why. You mean just, they could get a DOS <laughs> Geek because. hat soon? Yes. Yes. Dos oh Geek is coming soon. Actually, amazing. it should be this week. So check it out. We have so many absolutely amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. Deal and Extend, Hardware Addicts, the Dos Geek Channel, This Week in Linux, the Ask Noah Show, and the Pseudo Show. And we also have GameSphere with Chris Ware, our newest show. So yeah. there's so much good content you can digest and keep those penguins marching throughout the week. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching. <laughs> I love it. Everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. See you next week. <laughs>